to our service of worship as we sing to our God together. Please stand and join us. In my wrestling, in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubles, oh, you are the peace.
It's a great word that we uh, we sing today. The Lamb is overcome. We sing, Alleluia. We come today to give praise to Him and to once again connect our lives together. And so uh, we're glad that you're here as we worship together. Where you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Just a couple of things I want to uh, bring to your attention. In a couple of weeks, uh, three weeks on the 27th, it's Easter Sunday and has been a practice for a long, long time. We uh, begin in the first service that morning. A part of that service is baptism. If you are interested in being baptized uh, on Easter Sunday, just let me know. We'll be uh, putting together a class in the next week, 10 days or so, a couple of weeks uh, to prepare for that. So if you're interested, let me know about that. And also just... Note that next Sunday is the beginning of daylight saving time, and so we'll turn our clocks forward, lose an hour of sleep, uh, but I know that won't affect anything that we do on, uh, on next Sunday, but we'll just, just want to make you aware of that as we uh, think through this coming week. Uh, I want to introduce you, to those of you who don't know, I want to introduce you this morning to Jeannie Little. Uh, Jeannie and her husband Don have been a part of the community for about the last seven years or so. They've been members of our church for the last uh, about six years. And um, over the course of the last few years, Jeannie has felt a calling about a ministry of spiritual direction. And uh, she's gone through some extensive training and uh, experience with that and has been practicing this this ministry of spiritual direction for uh, a few years. And uh, as we've been talking over the last few months, uh, she has a desire for this to be uh, a ministry that really is under the leadership of the church. And we are very happy to see that happen. And so, um, in many ways, this is the kind of ministry that takes place behind the scenes. But as I ponder that, when you think about it, it's probably the most profound spiritual moments in our lives are often behind the scenes. And uh, in those quiet places, in the relationships, and in, in uh, things like spiritual direction. And so we've asked Jeannie to come and to share a few minutes this morning about spiritual direction. I suspect it's a new thing to many of you. There is an insert in the bulletin uh, that explains some more of that. We're going to ask her to share. And when she's done, we're going to invite those of you who would like to come. And she's going to kneel her at the altar. We're just going to pray for her and, uh, and God's blessing upon her ministry. I'm grateful to have this opportunity to share with you about Spiritual Direction, a ministry that in many ways has changed my life. Although I believe God was preparing me for this ministry, it wasn't until six years ago that I heard about Spiritual Direction. Almost immediately, I knew that I was to pursue training to become a Spiritual Director. It fit me in so many ways. But in the lovely way that is so God, he led me to do training, thinking I was going to learn some techniques and information, when really his first plan was to draw me more deeply into a love relationship with him, and also to heal and free me from things that felt like they were just part of me. They'd been there for so long. 
This has been a large part of my own journey the past six years. But what is spiritual direction? I want to start by telling you what it isn't. Um, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a life coach or a prayer partner or an accountability partner. And spiritual direction is not even very directive. Spiritual direction is a form of soul care. And I think of myself mostly as a companion on the journey. We're all on a journey with God. Whether we started knowing him personally uh, as children or later in life, we're learning and growing and doing the best we can on this journey, engaging with scripture, praying, becoming part of a Christian community, trying to follow and serve God in the world. At the same time, we are immersed in all our individual life stories, being born into a particular family, making friends, being a college student, or working. I doubt I have to spend time convincing you that, although we may have earnestly surrendered our lives to God, perhaps many times, our life and our relationship with God can, can feel, at times, a bit like a tangled mess. The busyness of life, its stresses, its challenges and decisions, added to the hurts and disappointments of life, can cause us sometimes to wonder, if we're honest, so where is God in all of this? Spiritual direction is based on the conviction that God can be found in all of our life experiences. In fact, he's waiting for us to notice that he's there. Just as Jesus stopped by the well and met a woman who had had many husbands and felt that her life was a mess and offered her living water, offered her himself, so Jesus wants to come into our individual messy stories and say, I can meet you there. I can offer you living water, too. In spiritual direction, I'm honored when individuals share their stories with me. I give them a safe place to voice their confusion and struggles and help them notice where God might be. It is traditional to light a candle in in the session to represent Christ's presence in our conversation. Sometimes getting the question or the struggle out, naming it, and holding it to the light of Christ's presence can be deeply healing. I don't, though, want to give the impression that spiritual direction is problem-centered, like perhaps counseling might be. For me, spiritual direction functions as regular soul care, much like the other spiritual disciplines, such as meditation on scripture, prayer, or silence. Having someone who regularly draws me to examine my life and ask, where is God in my life, helps me to live my relationships and my life with God more reflectively, rather than feeling like life is a fast-moving train. Building trust with a spiritual director who listens, asks me questions, and notices things that I may not see has helped me grow in what scripture calls 
abiding in Christ, that sense that I am a deeply loved child of God. There's much more I could say about spiritual direction, but on a practical level, I meet with men or women once a month, though with students I meet usually every two weeks. I find students generally live life a little more intensely. If you're interested, I would love to sit and hear your story. Thank you. We're going to spend a moment to pray for Jeannie. I'm going to ask her to come and kneel here. And if those of you who'd like to uh, come, gather around her, we're going to lay hands on her and pray for her. Gracious Father, we want to thank you for the, the burden that you have placed in Jeannie's heart about this ministry of spiritual direction. We sense that you have used this in her own life as she has engaged her own spiritual director. And we know that there are others who have already come closer to you and seen you in their lives by meeting with her. We pray, Father, your anointing upon uh, Jeannie's mind and spirit and every part of her being as she uh, continues in this role and as she, she uh, seeks uh, the, uh, the blessing of your spirit upon this important ministry. We pray, Father, that this will be a life-changing ministry for, for her and for all that uh, she, everyone she encounters. And we ask, Father, that we will see you doing the miraculous as you work in her and through her. We pray, Father, that you will prompt those of us who may really need this kind of ministry in our lives to draw us closer to you, to abide in you, to know more and more the joy of relationship with you. So pour out your blessing upon Jeannie and in the days ahead, the months, the years, May she sense in every encounter that you are present, that you are helping her, and that there is a tremendous fruit coming out of this ministry. We place Jeannie and the, the ministry of spiritual direction in your hands, and we thank you for what you're going to do. And we pray this through Christ. to invite the ushers forward to assist us as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. Walking through desert. 
these next few moments as we spend some time praying together, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, in this moment of silence, we think again, we remember the cross, what you've done for us in Christ, for your grace and mercy. Father, we want to thank you for your presence here with us today. For your grace and mercy in calling us to pray and in your promise to hear our prayers and to answer our prayers in the way that you know is best. We pray for your grace today upon all who are struggling with grief or illness, with pain and trouble. Pray today for Sherry Reynolds and her family as they wrestle with the grief of her mother's death. We pray for other families who are living with the reality of death and loss every day. We know that you're with them and we simply ask that you would comfort every need, every aching heart, every burdened soul. We pray that you will heal all of our diseases the grace and power of who you are. Give hope and courage. Give healing and strength to Bob Jobert and Rich Reynolds, Calvin and Laurel Buecher, Warren Woolsey, to Bill Getty and Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, to Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, to Mike Christensen and Linda Roth, to Dick Gould and Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others on our minds and hearts today. We thank you for the ministries of this church, and today we thank you for all of the prayer groups that are connected to our church. Thank you for people who spend time and come together for the sole purpose of praying. We know that so much that has happened, all of the good that takes place is because of your grace to us and often in response to our prayers. We thank you for these groups and we pray you continue to bless them.
We thank you for the ministries of churches around us. And today we, we pray especially for Belfast St. Patrick's Church. And we pray that you will bless this congregation and, and Father Dennis as he leads them. Pour out your spirit upon them. Make them a living witness of your grace and mercy. And Father, we pray for our world beyond us. And we think particularly of the nation of Sri Lanka and for Cedric and Charlene Rodrigo. We pray that you will continue to bless them as they lead the ministry of the Wesleyan Church in Sri Lanka. We pray for Daniel, their son, who's a student here at Houghton, and ask for your grace upon him, being so far away from home. We pray for your continued blessing upon their ministry. We continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who who live and worship and serve you in very difficult places. It's hard for us to fathom the kind of opposition that the Christians in northern Nigeria are facing. More than 4,000 deaths last year. Almost 200 churches attacked. Lord, we pray for your grace upon these believers. The struggle that they face every day, the the fear and the uncertainty. Lord, protect them and give them the kind of courage that allows them them to be your loving witness in the midst of of opposition and, and hate and threats. Father, we pray, continue to pray for the millions of refugees throughout the world. And for all who are involved in helping them. Whatever the circumstances that precipitated their flight. Whatever their religion. Whatever their race or nationality. We know that you love them. And that you desire your people to be agents of hope and strength. As a visible presence of your love. We pray Father that you will bring an end. To the things that cause the threats. And. And cause the the need for people to be refugees. And we ask this through your grace. Father, continue to open our eyes to your presence among us. Give us grace to continue to trust you. And we ask all of this through the mercy of Christ who goes to the cross for us. And who leaves for us the model of prayer which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This morning's scripture reading is Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. Following the scripture reading, children are dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church, which meet in the Christian Education Building. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please stand as we sing. rescued this life. Jesus, you have set me free. You alone took away all sin and disgrace when you gave your life to
Dennis Kinlaw once said, grace is a promise, not a payoff. Grace is a promise, not a payoff. When I read that, I thought to myself, I think we all spend our lives trying to come to grips with that truth. We wrestle with that truth. We struggle with that truth. We're we're trying to, to... To live that truth. But so often we think grace is something that God does in response to something we've done. But the reality is grace is simply something God gives to us. Not because we deserve it, but because he is good. And that's why in chapter 5 of Romans, as we talked last week, Paul says, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet alienated from God while we were rejecting God and betraying God and enemies of God and turning our backs on God, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for us because we proved ourselves worthy. You could say it was the exact opposite. And the question that the question is really not, does God give grace? The question is, what do we do about it? How do we respond to it? How do we live in light of God who pours out grace on us beyond really what we can truly imagine in our minds? And I think that's at the heart of what Paul is writing here in the sixth chapter of Romans. There is something in our human nature that we have a tendency to when someone gives us something to have a tendency to use it in a way that is manipulative. And I think that's what the Romans are doing. They're saying, in essence, Paul, as he writes to them, they're saying, okay, God is is gracious. God has been good to us. God keeps forgiving us. So why not just keep sinning? And let God's grace just keep forgiving us. And Paul's response is, you're missing the point. Because the reality is that assumes that sin is harmless. That we just sin, God forgives, and everything is fine. What we don't realize sometimes is how damaging and destructive sin is. The whole point of the evil one in the world is to cause damage, to cause destruction. And to lead us as people down a life of destruction. It just it isn't a matter of, well, we sin, God forgives, God's grace, it doesn't make everything is fine, it doesn't make any difference. Sin leaves scars. And sin destroys us, it destroys our relationships, it destroys everything about it cuts us off from, from God who wants to give us everything that we deep inside want. Romans 
And Paul says to them, it's not so much about, uh, about God's grace forgiving your sin as it is Christ comes and dies so that you don't have to sin. So you don't have to be chained to sin. So that you can be set free from the destructive power of sin. I think sometimes we don't really realize how destructive sin is. We, we sort of have a tendency. I mean, there's some times where we see that. But so much of what we do, it, we just sort of shrug it off. And God is always gracious and merciful to forgive us. But we live as if it, it doesn't really leave any damage. But you stop and think for a moment about the last time you regretted something you did. Might have been a month ago, a week ago, yesterday, this morning. Something that you regretted that you did. Why do we regret it? Some people would tell us, well, it's because the social mores of, of the Christian influence and culture is, just makes us feel guilty. Perhaps. But if we're honest, we regret it because we know it has caused damage. And now we are left not only with guilt and shame, but we are left trying to fix a fractured relationship because of what we did or what we said. We're trying to restore something that's broken. We're trying to to regain our reputation that has been damaged. We're trying to to regain the, the sense of connection to God that our sin has damaged. We regret it because we realize Not just that we did something wrong, but we see the consequences of it. And Paul is saying, Jesus comes and dies to help break the the chains, the enslavement that sin often has over us. That's why he comes. I think part, and he says, the, the answer to that is that we die to sin. We die to ourselves. As Christ comes and dies for us. I think one of the struggles we have in this whole concept is that we have a tendency to see death as moving to something that is less rather than something that is more. And that's quite natural because every time we encounter physical death with people we care about and love, it's always a movement to something less. Even in the best of circumstances, when someone's death eases their pain and suffering, and for Christians, we know that it leads them to something far greater. For us, for we who are left, it is a loss. And you can't help but see it that way. And I think one of the things we wrestle with is that when when Paul comes to us and says, we need to die to self, it feels like we're giving up something good. It feels like a loss. But the reality is, we're giving up being chained so that we can be set free. But it's hard for us to see that. We're a lot like the Israelites in the wilderness who come out of, after being enslaved by Egypt for 400 years, they come, God brings them out through Moses, they're in the wilderness, they're set free, and they start complaining because they don't have the food that they want. And they say to Moses, we were better off in Egypt. It is one of the most mind-boggling things you read in all of Scripture. We were better off enslaved 
to the Egyptians than we are free in the wilderness with God. And we read that and we think, they're out of their minds. And then we start thinking about our own lives. I think sometimes we're a lot like those stories you read of of people who have spent so much time in prison that when they get out, they don't know what to do with themselves. And, And they commit a crime so that they can go back to prison. Because they understand prison. It feels comfortable. It feels safe. And we look at that and think, wow, how could they possibly think that way? And then we look at our own lives. You know, when there's a young man comes to Jesus in Luke 18, and he says, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know, obey the commandments. And he says, I've done all of that. And he says, okay, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And Luke says, this young man walked away filled with sadness because he had a lot of stuff. And in his mind, giving up that stuff meant life would be less than hanging on to it. And Paul is saying to us, Christ comes to help us see that whatever we give up, it's not losing, it's gaining. And despite the fact that it is such a big struggle for us, and it is a struggle for us, because in our human natures, we get comfortable with these things. And these things bring us a certain element of pleasure and comfort and and security. We all wrestle with it. And Paul is saying, but it's all fleeting and it all means you're chained. And we say, no, I'm not chained. See, we think we are dragging sin around with us when the reality is sin is dragging us around. We think we are controlling our sins when the reality is sin is controlling us. And that's why we keep feeling remorseful after we do things we didn't mean to do and saying things after we, we didn't mean to say or didn't, shouldn't have said because all of a sudden we realize, why am I doing that? Because I'm chained to sin. And Paul says Jesus comes to set us free from that, to break the sins, to break the hold of sin on us. That's why Jesus comes and dies. I think something of this is also related to how we view the point of salvation. We have, you know, we've been told and thought for a long time that the the ultimate point of salvation is going to heaven. That's why a person becomes a Christian, so that you don't go to hell and you do go to heaven. And that's even how we often address the conversations with people. That's how we begin conversations with people about spiritual things about how, why would we go to heaven. And while that is an awesome promise, and we, we cling to that, and we love that, and we rely on that, and, and it, it gets us through a lot of days, the reality is the primary point of salvation is not what will happen someday. It's what God wants to do in our lives this day. It's what he wants to do now. And Paul is saying, you can have new life in Christ Now, you can be set free from the chains of sin now. You can live in the joy and peace and and love and grace of Christ now. You don't have to be chained to sin. 
You don't have to have that sin drag you all over the place. You can be set free and it can happen now. And some people have interpreted that as meaning that you never have to struggle with sin anymore. And I don't think that's at all what Paul is saying. When Paul writes this, you sort of think, I sort of feel like he has two responses in mind. One is God is gracious and God's going to do this for us. And God is so gracious. So it doesn't matter what we do. Let's just do things that we want and be set free. And he will forgive us. And Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. But the other side of it is people who say, okay, if, if you're set free from the chains of sin, then why are you still wrestling with sin? Something is wrong with you. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think Paul is saying, yes, if, you tr- if we trusted Christ enough, we could be set free from the chains of sin completely. But there's only been one sinless person. And he went to a cross. But the problem is, we get so wrapped up in our sins and we think God can't really do this, that we, we live in despair instead of hope. And Paul is saying the Christian life is about hope. It's about being set free to be holy. And that word holiness often scares us because it conjures up in a lot of our minds sternness and strictness and legalism. Which is so unfortunate because to be holy really is just to be like Jesus. It is to live a life that Jesus lived. That kind of freedom And love and and mercy and compassion. That's what it means to be holy. And Paul is saying Christ sets us free. So that not so that we can do whatever we want. But so that we don't have to do whatever we want. Christ sets us free not so we we can live a life that leads to destruction. But so we don't have to live a life that leads to destruction. He sets us free, not to be unholy, but to be holy, to be like Christ. And to live in that joy and freedom, the fruit of God's spirit in us. And we will all wrestle with that. We're all human beings. Until we get to heaven, until we, Christ brings in his kingdom, and we are all changed, as Paul also describes, talks about, we will wrestle with our humanness. We will wrestle with sin. But it doesn't have to enslave us. We don't have to live in despair. On our journey with Christ, we can move to freedom because of Christ. And it isn't just for some special people. Some people who have sort of found the secret And they get to live in freedom and the rest of us struggle with it. This is really what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is not to live in despair. It's to live in hope. It's not to live a defeated life. It's to live a victorious life. It's not to live chained to sin and we can't do anything about it. It's to live in the freedom of Christ. To look more and more as our lives go along like Christ. That's the calling of being a disciple. And we won't be perfect. We're all going to struggle. But the desire of our hearts is to want that kind of freedom through Christ. 
if the death of Christ on the cross and all that that means and everything Christ went through is just so we can kind of sneak by. So we can just sort of just edge our toes into heaven. So that, so that we, we live our lives in, in mediocrity. Then, well, you really have to question what was going on. The death of Christ must mean more than that. And so every one of us are faced with a choice. Do we want to, to live under the control and destructive nature of sin? Or do we want to present ourselves, as Paul writes in verse 13, to present ourselves, to offer ourselves completely to God? And that word to present ourselves, to give ourselves, to offer ourselves, it really means to put something at another person's disposal. So we're saying, here's my life, Lord, it is at your disposal. Do whatever you want with it. Because I trust you. Because you're good. And you're merciful. And you're gracious. And anything I might give up, anything that I might lose in this world, it's nothing. Because I gain the freedom of Christ. It is Presenting ourselves, offering ourselves completely to him. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates verses 12 to 14 in the message. He says this. This means that you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time into God's way Of doing things. I like that. It's being all in. With Christ. A little over a year ago. I started having some pain. In my right arm. Right in this area here. And it it just kept getting worse. And it was. It was hindering my ability to. To do things. I mean even sometimes it hurt to put on a. Put my arm in a shirt sleeve. And. So I was at the doctor, I asked him about it, and he said, uh, he looked at it a little bit, and he said, oh, that's a rotator cuff problem. Which surprised me, because I always thought the rotator cuff was in your shoulder, which I think it is. But it presents, the pain presents itself in your upper arm. So he said, you know, he did some x-rays, and it's a little hard to tell with those injuries. But he said, you probably have a little tear, you need to do physical therapy. So I went to the physical therapist, I started doing therapy. And the therapist will remain unnamed in order to protect the innocent. But... Uh, but the, um, you know, we started doing this therapy and working with me a couple times a week. And, you know, it was painful and it was hard, but it started feeling better. And, and it gave me some home exercises to do. And, and I was doing the home exercises and I was getting better. But as it got better, I decided maybe I didn't need to do the home exercises as much. I mean, the, the perfect plan for me would be I just go to physical therapy and, the, and he does all of the work for me. And yes, it was painful, but I always felt better. And he let him do all the work, and I just go home and do what I want. And that worked okay for a little while, and then it started getting worse. And eventually, I was in worse shape than I was when I first had the injury to begin with. And then they did an MRI, and it was more damage because they hadn't stuck with the therapy. So we had to start all over again. 
And we went back to therapy to start over again. And it was hard because I couldn't play much tennis last summer. And, and I, you know, last year I threw out the first pitch of the Rapids game. I couldn't even get the ball to home plate. Then that was the only reason I couldn't get the ball to home plate because I'd hurt my shoulder. <laughs> Nothing else had anything else to do with it. And, and it was so painful and we had to start all over. In fact, we had kind of gotten worse. And so now, you know, in, in a very kind way, the therapist looks at me and says, you got to do these home exercises. Well, honestly, you didn't have to convince me anymore. And I, and I have been diligent doing those exercises, and it's gotten so much better. I don't, I don't have pain when I put my arm in, this, in the shirt sleeve or coat anymore. Quite frankly, one of the most painful things was doing the benediction. Really, it hurt so much. But I was not going to not do that. I really love doing that. I love when you all look at me and I get a chance to bless you. And I was not going to stop doing that, but it hurt a lot. And one of the signs that we had that I'm getting better is it doesn't hurt anymore, you know. And, and I've been thinking about that and, and realizing that I've done two things. I've done this two ways. And I'm thinking to myself, how stupid can you be, Wes? Because you, you, there are a lot of days now where I go out and walk in the morning, come back, and I'm, those exercises, those 20, 30 minutes of exercise are looking me in the face, and I'm tired, and I know it's going to be painful, and I know it's just, you know, it's going to take time, I want to do other things, and I'm so tempted to say, eh, I'm not going to do it. And then I remember what it was like when I didn't do it. And, and, I, and I have this choice. I, I, can, I can do the exercises... And, and follow the regimen that I'm supposed to follow and watch it get better. Or I can slack off, not do the exercises, and it gets worse. And I've done them both, and I can tell you from experience, this is not theory, from experience, number one is better. And every one of us are confronted with a decision like that about our relationship with God. We can... We, we can slack off. We can go our own way. We, we, can, we can just do the things that feel really great to do right now. And maybe not even realize the damage that we're causing to ourselves and others in the process. Or we can present ourselves to Christ. And we can actively say, Lord... I want to do the things you want me to do. I, I, I want to be the person you want me to be. I want to be free. I want to be healed. I, I want to be who you created me to be. And I can tell you that second way is better. In many ways, it's kind of what Jeannie was talking about this morning. It's the kind of thing that we, we are so interested in, in living in the freedom of Christ that we put ourselves in a place like being we're working with the spiritual director or other kinds of things like that that may be painful and they may be hard and they may be demanding of us, but in the long run, they are leading us to freedom in Christ and to experience the joy and the blessing and the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of holiness in Christ. And to actually live our lives. It looks a lot like we were created to live. And it's really not giving up. It's gaining. It's taking on. 
It's freedom. So the choice is continually before us. Not just today, not just once, but every day. What do we want to be? When we look five years down the road, ten years down the road, twenty years down the road, what do we want to be? We want to be free in Christ. That's what he wants for us. Do we want it? Holy Father, thank you so much for your grace to us. We believe that you want us to be free. You want us to know the joy of freedom in you. And yes, sometimes that journey is difficult and painful and a struggle. But we know where it's leading us. Help us to see that, to want it. And in that wanting to act on it. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now forevermore. Amen. Thank you.